Alrighty, week three of our text series. Uh, we started week one uh, talking about text messages and how all of us, we read our text messages. And what if God gave us a text message? Would we read it? Because we all check our text messages. Now, quick question. Let's do a poll in here, and I can't see you, so you have to shout it out. How many would you say you have a smartphone? Let me hear you. All right, I heard a groan in there. All right, did you know this? 64% of United States adults actually have a smartphone. And get this, 46% of them say that they can't live without their smartphone. Now, I understand the reason why you check email, you know, we do text. But let me tell you, one of the biggest reasons why we can't put these things down is because of the camera. All right. Now, how many of y'all remember when cameras used to be a separate thing that you had to buy? Anybody remember that? All right. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a selfie with you guys. Can I do that? Here, ready? All right, here you go. You got to smile. There you go. Ready? All right, sweet. See, here's the thing. Back in the day, um, I actually, you had to buy a camera, and I'm not even talking digital, right? I'm talking about the one where you had to thread through, the, you know, the film, and you got to wind it up, right? You got to do that. You had to be very selective on what the pictures you took, because getting them developed was expensive, right? It just was. And I remember, I had this really big camera, this 35 millimeter camera with a big telescopic lens, and I loved taking pictures with it. But um, I remember the first time I like went crazy about taking pictures, and then I, you know, I gave the film to my parents, and you know, to get them developed. And I, again, I remember that, you know, uh, and and them uh, the bill afterwards. It's like you, you've got to stop taking so many pictures, right? And I totally get that; it's expensive. But yet today we have our phones, and we take pictures of everything everything we take pictures of what we eat we think we take pictures of the cat sleeping we take pictures of any and everything it's just and it's just it's just what we do um in fact how many of y'all have, have done the panoramic pic any of y'all I, isn't that cool how you can take that and you can kind of pan and you can get the big picture i've done that like standing at the bottom of the arch in st louis and doing a panoramic pic of going all the way up. it's the coolest thing well today I want to take the Bible, God's text message, and I want to broaden our telescopic lens out so that we get a panorama of how it all fits together. Because one of the things I hear, one of the things I hear from people is, you know what, I don't quite understand it, and the reason why we don't understand it is because we don't see the big picture. We just don't. In fact, if I could change metaphors just for a sec, uh, for some, how many of y'all like doing puzzles and doing the puzzle pieces? Anyone? Okay, so in fact, actually, a lot of you guys. All right, can you imagine if somebody gave you a 1,500-piece puzzle and you didn't have the box top and you didn't know what it, what it was supposed to make? How frustrated would that be? Right? You would get the edges, right? And then after that, it's like, okay, I give up. Right? Because you don't know what it's supposed to make. Well, today, I want to pull back that panoramic lens, and I want us to all look at the big box top of God's magnificent story of what, of how we fit into it and, and how the church fits into it and, 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 and how, uh, you know, the, the, the Jewish nation Israel fits into it. And we're going to see this big panoramic 30,000 foot view of what God is wanting to do because God's word is so amazing. Now, before we dig into that, let me just give you some facts about the Bible. Number one fact, this is interesting. Did you know that there are 773,692 words contained in this book? 
and that it would take you, if you read it out loud, 70 hours to read. You think about that, 70 hours. That's not a lot of time. And if I were to poll all of us, I would say probably many of us in here have never read the Bible through from cover to cover. And, and again, I, I get that. Sometimes it's difficult. It's kind of, it's old. I mean, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But it, it's, it's, not, it's, not that, it's not that much, right? 773 words. I mean, some of you, I mean, ladies, you, you, you talk about that in about a day, right? I mean, oh, did I say that out loud? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, wait a minute. That's not my notes. Let's wind that up. Hey, my name's Chris. Welcome to one. Okay, let's go. Fact number two. This book is really not a book at all, but it's a collection, a library of 66 books. That's interesting. Uh, that this one book, and even though it's a book and it's covered, it has a spine and everything, it's really not just one book, but it's a collection of 66 different books. Now look at this next fact. It's a collection of 66 different books written over a 1,500-year time span. The first one was written by Moses. The first few books was written by Moses around 1400, 1450 B.C. And the last one written by John at about 90 to 95 A.D. And stuck right in the middle of that 1500-year time gap is 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence where God didn't say anything. Not only that, it's written over 1500 years, but look at this. It's actually written by over 40 different authors. That's interesting. Because, and and, and they didn't all get together in a smoke-filled room and say, okay, what did you say? And then what did you say? And, and they kind of collaborated their story. They didn't do that. Um, because many of them, they lived over 1,500 years apart. Um, but yet, when you get into God's Word, it's interesting that there's so, it's, it's so rich. And it doesn't contradict one another, even though it's written over 1,500 years with 40 different authors. Look at this next one. The Bible is also written from all sorts of different places. This book was written from 13 different countries across three different continents. Asia, Africa, and Europe. The Bible was written by Moses in the wilderness, by Jeremiah in a dungeon. It was written by Luke while traveling. It was written by Jonah in the belly of a fish. Paul, he was in prison. John was on the exile on this island called Patmos. It was written in three different languages. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, as we're going to look at this, the first part of the Bible is primarily written in Hebrew. There's little small parts that are written in Aramaic. And the second part of the Bible is written in Greek. Now, don't put this next one up yet. Let me ask you a question. The Bible that we have here, it can be broken up into two big sections. Does anybody know what two sections they're called? Good job, guys. Old Testament and the New Testament. So let's talk about what that looks like, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the word testament literally means covenant it means covenant it's so interesting because covenant it means covenant agreement contract or arrangement um and really the covenant is how god relates to people so there's two primary ones there's the old testament or the old covenant the old agreements and then there's the new testament and the new covenant the new way that god relates to people Now, here's what's interesting about this. In the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, you have the story of ancient Israel. In the New Testament or the New Covenant, we find the story of the ancient church. 
So uh, now I say it's Old Testament or Old Covenant, but it really is Old Covenants because in the Old Testament, it contains a lot of different covenants that God made with people. Let me explain some of them to you. Uh, The first one, Noah. God made a covenant with Noah to never do what again? Flood the earth. Exactly right. Anybody here? Clarksville 2010. All right, cool. All right, and, and God gave Moses a sign and that was the rainbow, right? Now, there's another covenant. God made an agreement uh, with a guy by the name of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, the agreement that God made with Abraham is, listen, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to give you a land, and your descendants are going to become as, 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 as numerous as the sands on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And God made that covenant with Abraham. Another covenant that God made was with King David, David and Goliath. And the agreement that God made with David was simply this, that as long as there's a king in Israel, it's going to be from your life. It's going to be one of your descendants. Now, the main covenant that God made in the Old Testament, and really what the entire Old Testament kind of centers around, is the covenant that God made with Moses. With Moses. And God met with Moses up on this mountain in um, Mount Sinai, and there he he gave this the Ten Commandments. Anybody, Charlton Heston, you know? Or uh, uh, God, the 15 commandments, and he drops one to 10, the life of Brian. Okay, anyway. Um, But God gave Moses the 10 commandments, and, and God wrote them himself in stone. And what's interesting about that, this covenant was a conditional covenant. And let me explain what that means. It just simply means this, that God said, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. And if you don't obey me, and if you don't do this, then I'm not going to bless you. So it was, it was a covenant, an agreement, conditional covenant, based upon the condition that Israel would actually listen and obey to God. Now here's the problem. They struggled obeying. In fact, some of you in here, if not all of us, I would say, don't you and I struggle obeying? We do. Some of you, if you're, if you're a child in here, when your parent says, hey, you need to do this, and you don't do it, we disobey. And some of you who are, who are parents, uh, you know just how frustrating that is when your children don't obey. But aren't we the same way when God says, okay, I want you to do this, I want you to forgive him, and, and, and I want you to give what I ask you to give uh, financially. I, I, I want you to have this type of attitude. I want you to treat her the way you want to be treated. And we disobey all the time. It's just so frustrating. But you know what? It was frustrating for the Israelites as well because this conditional covenant was based upon the condition that they actually listened and obeyed. But in the Old Testament, God prophesied that one day he was going to create a new covenant. A new agreement with his people. In fact, this prophecy is found in Jeremiah chapter 31, where it says this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant, or a new testament. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the Mosaic covenant, the covenant he made with Moses. They broke that covenant. They didn't obey. But this is a what? A new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions, look at this, not on stone, but deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, 
and they will be my people. And look at this. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. You see, God is prophesying through the pen of Jeremiah that one day that a new covenant would be ushered into. And this would not be a conditional covenant. This would have nothing to do with whether or not we obeyed or not. This had everything to do, this was an unconditional covenant. That what this was going to usher in was God doing it on our behalf because we can't do it. In fact, that's exactly what happened when Jesus showed up. And on the Last Supper, and some of you, you've taken communion. This is where we get that. In Matthew 26, it says this. As they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and asked God God's blessings on it. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which seals the what? The covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. And in the past, all these other covenants were made primarily through the blood of animals and shedding the blood. But when Jesus was saying this, I'm going to bring a brand new covenant to you, it's going to be in my blood. Because where you used to sacrifice lambs, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is a brand new covenant, which means that God is starting something brand new, a brand new kind of relationship with his people. So when the, when the people came along to assemble this book, they primarily looked at, okay, there's the old covenants, and then there's the new covenant, the old arrangements that God had with his people, the Israelites, that we had to keep the rules, it was conditional on us, followed by a New Testament, a new covenant, in which it's unconditional, that God actually, um, he completed the law for us. He followed the rules so that we didn't have to. Uh, that through his son, Jesus Christ, that we can have a relationship with God. Now, you've already learned something. That's cool. Now, here's what I want you to do. Did everybody get one of these? All right, cool. If you did, go ahead and pull those out. If you didn't, raise your hand and somebody from the back, and they'll, uh, they'll give it to you. All right, we've got some down here, um, right here. This is where they are. So I got one down here. I got a couple back there. Just keep your hands raised up. Thank you so much, Brittany. I got some over here. All right, this is going to be very important because the rest of our time today, this is kind of an overview of where we're going. So just keep those hands raised up. So how many of y'all are sure? Is it a sure, right? What is it called? What's the deodorant? Y'all know what I'm saying. Anyway. All right. Keep them up until you get them. All right. Now, the Old Testament, go ahead and turn to this side. The Old Testament can be, and by the way, what does the word testament mean? Covenant. Very good. The Old Testament can be broken up into four different sections. In fact, here's what it is. Law, history, poetry, prophets. Can you say that with me? Law, history, poetry, Prophets. Good job, guys. In fact, the order that we have it in our Bibles, if you, if you turn to your table of contents, it's actually in this order. Law, the first five books written by Moses. Uh, uh, Jews call this the Torah, and that's the Hebrew word for law. Okay, And then there's the history books, um, and it's all about history. And then there's poetry, and then there are these prophets who prophesize. Now, that's what's so interesting about this. Um, and I love getting into this stuff because even though it's kind of broken up kind of easy, it's, the problem with this list, it's not chronological, which means it, it doesn't go in order. How many of y'all have ever read a, uh, a novel and you started in the middle and you got frustrated because you didn't know what was going on and you put it down? Well, nobody starts a novel in the middle. 
right? That's kind of dumb, right? But so many times, that's what we do with God's Word. You see, we'll just open it up to the book of Psalms, and we don't quite understand it. Thank you so much, Lou. We don't quite understand it, and then we put it down. We say, well, I can't understand this. You've got to have a seminary degree to understand this stuff. No, you just got to figure out how the pieces fit together, all right? So what I've done to you, if you'll flip that card over, I have put this in chronological order for you, all right? And let me kind of show this. This middle section right here on your card, or you can watch on the screen, look at this. Genesis, Genesis means beginnings, and it's the very beginning. Exodus, and then it skips to Numbers, Joshua, Judges. All of those are in order. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, there's a gap here we're going to talk about. And then there's two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, that if you wanted to read about the history of Israel, you would read these books. All right? So you can go ahead and put that next uh, graphic on the screen. This right here is the history or the story. All right? The history or the timeline. All right? Now, you can keep that up. Now, here's what I, what's so interesting about this. Is when you look at this history or timeline, look in your card in like the middle of it. Everybody see 1 and 2 Samuel? 1 Samuel is primary, uh, primarily written about a guy by the name of David. He becomes king. David kills Goliath. David's anointed as king. He's running from King Saul. Um, all of this stuff. Now, here's what's, and this is what makes this so rich, guys. You see, as 1 Samuel talks about David, down here below, we read, what is that, what is that book right here? Psalms. And the majority of the Psalms were written by David. And what we have here, we have the history, the timeline of it, but we have his emotions. And this is his journal entries. This is kind of what he's writing down. If I could kind of illustrate it this way. I have here a, uh, a book, and again, we used to take pictures. Remember, this is um, uh, when I, summer of 1988. Some of y'all weren't even born. Most of y'all weren't, and I don't like any of y'all. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing. I, I was uh, touring with the Christian tour group, and I went to like 26 states that summer, and I played a concert every night. And here, there's me right there with those big old ugly old glasses, um, and I was wearing a sock tie. Anybody remember sock ties? Anyone? Yeah, none of you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, anyway, so this, like here is uh, California, and we have Arizona, um, we have Wyoming, it's gorgeous, right? Anyway, all of this is in order of my trip, and I just absolutely loved it. Now, here's what's so cool. That's how the history is. We have the order right here, but on this bottom part, here's my journal entries of everything that happened that day. So not only do I have the timeline of it, I have, hey, uh, you know what? On January 16th, this is what I was feeling. And this is what I did that day. And this is what I was thinking. And I messed up here. And what's so interesting is what we have with God's book here is we have the history. And then we have people's kind of feelings about it. Their journal entries. If you can go back, let's take this off and let me kind of show you this. Um, so first, uh, first and second Samuel, primarily about David. In second Samuel chapter, 12, uh, chapter 11, uh, Daniel, uh, David makes a huge mistake. Uh, he decides to have an affair with Bathsheba, who's the bath diva. She's kind of bathing up on top of this roof. And, um, and he makes a bad mistake. 
in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In second, next chapter, 6 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan confronts him and then uh, confronts him saying, you've done something wrong, you've, you've sinned against God. And in Psalm 51, we read his journal entry. So not only do we have the history, we have what David was feeling and thinking in, in processing that at the time. Hear me this. No other literature in the world do we have this much in depth. So here we have the history. Here we have the journal entries. And look at this, First and Second Kings. First uh, Kings is primarily about Solomon. Now Solomon is David and Bathsheba's one of their sons. In fact, he's the wisest person who ever lived. And Solomon, as the, king, as the next king of Israel once David dies, he has three journal entries. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and anybody know the next one? Come on now, we'll talk about it. Now, Proverbs, okay? He wrote the book of Proverbs. And if you've ever read Proverbs, it's so interesting and it's very, very practical. If you've never, ever read the Bible, I would say start with Proverbs. Great one to start with, right? Now, Ecclesiastes, he writes a little bit later in life and he decides, you know what? I don't need God anymore. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start pursuing women and sex and pleasure. And I'm going to just party all the time. And I'm going to drink. And I'm going to get inebriated. I am just going to... It's all about me. And we read in the book of Ecclesiastes that when you take God out of your life, it is meaningless. In Song of Solomon... Uh, by the way, we have our one-up kids in here, fourth and fifth graders. Everybody say hello to them. All right. All right, guys, can y'all do me a favor? Can you go like this? Go like this. Put your hands over your ears. The Song of Solomon's about sex. Okay, you can take them off. Go. Y'all, I'm sure you didn't hear that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't hear it. Anyway, let me tell you this. They would not allow Jewish boys to read the Song of Solomon but just because it was so steamy. Now, some of you, you're like, I got to read the Bible. Yes, you do. It's interesting, all right? Let's keep on going. Now, here's what's so interesting is while this is going on, you have these prophets during first and second samuel first and kings they are saying listen god made a covenant with you through moses you need to listen and obey it's, it's conditional god wants to bless you but you've got to obey so they're coming along and they're saying you got to do this you can keep on going through this some of this so um so here you have the prophets so all of this stuff is happening and you have people's journal entries you have the people going hey you're not listening you're not obeying and if you would take that back off. And what happens is because they did not obey, look at this, you have 70 years of exile. What happened is they had disobeyed so much that God said, listen, I'm going to have to discipline you. I'm going to have to discipline you. So he, they got kicked out of the land. And while uh, during the 70 years of exile, um, Daniel and Ezekiel are talking, but they're captured uh, Daniel, I mean, he's a prisoner in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And look at this. And then after the 70 years of exile, um, Ezra and Nehemiah come back to Jerusalem, come back to their, and, and they kind of enter into the land. Ezra rebuilds the temple so that the, the, the Jewish religion can continue, and Nehemiah rebuilds the walls outside of Jerusalem. And at the end of Nehemiah, there's silence. And for the next 400 years, there was no prophet writing from God. The next 400 years, it's like God went dark. And you had people kind of processing, oh, you remember how God used to act and, and used to work with us? And, and it's like, man, he was so present and we saw miracles and we saw all of this stuff. 
and, and it's like God is nowhere to be found anymore. And, and what's so interesting that during those 400 years, a lot's happening in the world. The rise of the Persian Empire happens. In fact, if, guys, if you've seen the movie 300, that happened right after this area right here. Um, or uh, the, the rise of the Greeks and Alexander the Great. Uh, he died in 323 B.C. It happened right in here. And then you had the rise of the Romans and Julius Caesar and Mark Antony and Cleopatra and Brutus. All those happened right before the New Testament. And it's like that God went dark and that Judaism went out of business and they just kind of went through the religious motions. And, 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 and generations passed. I mean, for, how, how many years in between the Old and the New Testament? 400 years. Entire generations pass, and they're telling these stories of Abraham and Isaac and David and Daniel in the lion's den. And the kids growing up like, are these just myths? Are these just make-believe stuff so that you can scare us to do, so that you can troll us? Uh, is any of this stuff even real? I mean, think about this. Our, the United States, we've been a nation now for 239 years. This was silence from God for 400 years. And it's like, what's going to happen? And the end of the Old Testament, those prophets that we looked at up here, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they promised, they, they prophesied that God would go dark. And, and they said things like this, even though God is very disappointed with you, Israel, because you've not listened, because you've not obeyed him, even though Israel has turned their back on God, and even though God has warned them time after time after time, God is going to keep his promise. God is going to keep his promise he made to Abraham. He's going to keep his covenant with Abraham, and God is going to bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham and his descendants. That God is going to keep his promise he made to David. Which means there will once be a once and future king from King David's line that will one day sit on the throne. That God is going to keep his promise to Israel that there will come a Messiah and a deliverer and a savior. And all of these people have been looking forward saying, okay, one day he's going to come. One day my prince will come. Entire generations of Jews spent their whole lives waiting for a Messiah. That, that word Messiah is the Hebrew word Jewish king. But they, they were just looking the entire lives for their promise of a savior. In fact, what separates most of Judaism from Christianity today? You see, we believe uh, in the in those books that they believe in the Old Testament, but Jews are still looking for for their savior. They're still looking for their Messiah, their king. And they missed that Jesus was their king and that Jesus showed up. But what's so interesting? The Jewish people during these 400 years have every reason in the world to say, okay, it was just a myth. Okay, it was just a legend. Okay, I guess, you know, it was just a fairy tale. It was just stories that people made up to motivate us and to inspire us. But all this stuff about God's special people and one day that God is going to come and do this, maybe it was just all made up because the Persians had marched over them and the Greeks had marched over them, and the Romans had marched over them, and they're, think, they're scratching heads, and they're thinking, God's not answering any of our prayers. And God isn't coming through for us. And some of you, you're here this morning, and you're wondering that very same thing. It seems like God has went silent. 
and your prayers, they're kind of hitting the ceiling and they're reflecting. It's like God's not listening to you. And you ask the question, why? And the answer I have about the 400 years of why God this is, I don't know. Even though God was silent, I believe he was moving behind the scenes. He was moving behind the scenes to get ready for this coming Savior. And I'm a musician, and I, I think of everything through music, okay? And uh, how many of y'all, you're kind of some type of musical? Play an instrument, sing, okay, so a lot of you guys. You see, here's what I've learned, because I play trumpet. And when I've played in an orchestra setting, and you have these bombastic, these huge, the, the, the violins are kind of sawing on their bows, and you have the low brass, bum, 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 right? And you got the trumpets blaring, all that's great, but when you have silence... And it's just the woodwinds just barely playing, and it's pianissimo. It's in those times of silence that make those big parts of the song even more sweeter. And maybe that's the reason why God seems silent to you today. It's because God is getting ready to do something new and amazing that if you were even to think about it, you'd never guess. In fact, that's what it says in Isaiah he says, I'm, behold, I'm going to do something that if, if somebody told it to you that I was going to do it, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. And that's exactly what happens with the coming of the New Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, we read the prophecy of this Jewish Messiah, this coming king. And here's what it says. See, I will send my what? Messenger. So he's basically saying this. Before the Jewish king comes, I'm going to grease the wheel. I'm going to prime the pump. And I'm going to send somebody who comes before him. A messenger who will do what? Prepare the way before who? Me. God's saying, I'm going to show up. Right? This is cool. Who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. That God will show up. In the temple in Jerusalem, the messenger of the what? Covenant. What covenant? What does covenant mean? Testament or agreement. That's exactly right. So whom you desire, he will come, says the Lord Almighty. And Malachi is talking to the people of Israel, don't give up hope. I know God's going to go quiet. And I know you're going to be tempted to think, you know what, all this stuff was made up and it was just a fairy tale and it was just a story and it was just something make-believe. But I promise you, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope because God will show up. He will send a messenger to prepare the way. But for 400 years, the Jewish people wait, looking to the future, looking for their Messiah. Now, what's interesting is after those 400 years, an angel shows up to this little teenage girl. She's probably 13 years old at the time. Her name was Mary. And she says this, Mary, hail, favored one. What? You are going to have a child. He's going to be the savior of the world, not just of the Jews, but the entire world. And he's going to save everyone from their sin. You are to call his name, help me, Jesus. And what Jesus means, it's the Greek word from the Hebrew word Joshua, Yeshua, and that means to save. He will save them from their sins. 
And what's so interesting is then just a few years later, you have this, uh, this husky, burly, uh, smelly, um, long-haired guy comes out of the wilderness. And he walks down to the Jordan River, and, and John the Baptist starts baptizing people. And he says this, repent, repent, change what you're doing, because I'm coming to prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare yourself. God is getting ready to get back involved again. God is going to do something new again. And, and, and I know you've been waiting and you've wondering if, if these covenants that he made with Abraham and with Moses and with David and with Noah, that any of this stuff was going to come true. But I'm telling you, he's here. And as he's baptizing, John looks in the crowd and he catches a glimpse of Jesus. And here's what John says in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist, looking at Jesus, says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's like in this verse, both Old Testament and New Testament collide and coagulate and mingle, and it's like it, it's happening. It's right here. And, and now no, it's like God didn't miss a beat, that God prophesied it, that John shows up and prepares the way for Jesus. And look, as we looked at last week, those 300 prophecies came through through Jesus. Those Old Testament covenants are fulfilled in Jesus. The New Covenant, the New Testament, all falls on Jesus. I love that. That's amazing. You see, that's the reason why when people say, you know what, I don't believe the Bible is true. You know, that's, that's really kind of a that simple statement. What do you mean you don't believe the Bible's true? Are you talking about the law? Are you talking about the prophets? Are you talking about the history of it? What part are you saying is it true? Because just saying, ah, eh, it's not true, you know what that tells me? You've never read it. And what is my goal for you to this series is to... Thank you. Gosh, you guys are so much better than first service. They were like this. Anyway, all right, now, here's what I want you to do. I just like, I want you to flip that card back over, and just like the Old Testament is divided up into four sections, the New Testament is divided up into how many sections? Four sections. Let's look at them. All right, you have the Gospels, all right, you have history, you have letters, and prophecy. Gospels, history, letters, prophecy. Now, this is for extra credit. The Old Testament can be broken up into how many parts? Can anybody name them? Law, history, poetry, and pro good reading, guys. All right, all right. Now, so gospels. What is the what is a gospel? Well, basically, these are four books written by four different people, and it's a biography of one person, and that person, his name is Jesus. Now, here's what's so interesting. These four are written by, it have four different perspectives, right? So Matthew and John were all eyewitnesses to Jesus. That means they witnessed Jesus with their own eyes, right? Remember that? So they were the eyewitnesses. So Matthew and John, they were part of his 12 disciples. Now, Mark and Luke, they weren't there. Um, they weren't part of the inner circle, uh, they had to interview people to be able to write their Gospels. And again, if you've never like started reading the Bible, this is a great place for you to start. Start in Matthew. And then after you get done with Matthew, go to Mark. After you get done to Mark, go to Luke. And after you get done with Luke, go to John. Because they all are looking at the same person from four different perspectives. 
Now, this is biography, but it's history because it happened as well. But look at this next part. Acts is a book of history. And how Acts begins is because Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God who had no sin, he, he got crucified on the cross, just as the Old Testament predicted. He was buried, and he was raised again on the third day, just as the Old Testament predicted. And then in the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus is there just for a little bit before he goes up into heaven. And the rest of the book of Acts is the history of the ancient church. Now here's what's so interesting about that. As you're digging into the history of Acts, and it's this is one of my favorite books. Here's what you want to do. These next books right here are all letters, and as you read these, they all, you need to read it in correspondence with the book of Acts. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 18. Paul, he starts a church in Corinth, and he stays in Corinth for a year and a half, and then he leaves Corinth, and he goes to start another church. Well, guess what? A little bit later, he decides he wants to write some letters to encourage them. And guess what he writes? 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. See? So if you, as you're reading this, you want to go back to here. What, what's happening here? Okay, let me show you another one. Ephesians. Paul, he started a church in the town of Ephesus. And then he leaves, and then he goes, and he writes a letter to them, and it's called, the, uh, called Ephesians. Philippians, he started the church in Philippi. He writes them. Uh, Thessalonica, he writes two letters to them. So as you're reading these, most of them written by Paul, you want to go back to the book of Acts to always look at the context. And then the last one, it's prophecy. Prophecy. Now, if you've read Revelation... Uh, you and I both know that this is a very difficult book because it's prophecy about what's going to happen. And I know a lot of godly men and women who disagree on how to interpret and understand Revelation. All right? And I totally get that. There are a lot of things uh, that, um, that we need to make sure we know about. The first one is Jesus Christ. Uh, how to understand Revelation ain't one of them. So you may believe one thing about Revelation, I may believe another. I can still say, I love you. And you, you should say you love me because, hey. Anyway, I'm just saying, right? So I, I, a lot of people argue about this. Don't argue about that, right? Seriously. That, that, ain't, that ain't the main thing. It ain't. Uh, the, the one main thing is Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. That just as, you know, we have that chronology and we have the journal entries and the commentary, that's exactly what we have here. We have the history, but then you can read the feelings and the thoughts of what's going on during the history book. And the thing I like about the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters. It's the one book that hasn't stopped because you and I are living this book. Um, we're the Acts 29. Um, we are the, it's still happening because you and I are still the church. Now, before I close, I just want to say this. That today, right now, we're in a similar time like the Jews were during those 400 years where God was silent. You see, they had known a lot of these stories and they had read the Bible, but it seemed like God was taking a siesta. It's like God uh, wasn't there and they were kind of living in, in this tension of there's prophecy that's going to be fulfilled, but it's not fulfilled yet. And that's where we're in right now. Right now, Jesus, he left about 2,000 years ago, and there's prophecy of what's going to happen, but we're still living within the tension is it, has, it hasn't happened yet. And I know some of us, and we've all know people that, you know, we kind of, they want to discount the Bible and say, you know, it's just myth, it's just stories, it's just fairy tales. 
because they don't they haven't seen all of this stuff we've read about and it's the same way that the jews were back in that day and if the one thing that should give your faith hope it should be this that just as the jews they were doubting some during that 400 years god showed up that god will show up again he will come back that the, the the coming king jesus will come back again so we need to read the bible so that we can know what's going to happen and what's so amazing about this, I, I just absolutely love this. I, don't, I need to look at my, see if I have any text. But I, I, one of the things that uh, I, I like about this is simply, if you were to go back in the first century when they were killing Christians and feed them to lions, and you asked, you know, the Caesar of that time, uh, Titus, hey, um, do, you, do you ever foresee a time here in Rome when a bunch of crosses would be over all the buildings and this city would all be following Jesus Christ. And Titus would be going, absolutely not. We're going to wipe this thing out here and now. And they tried. And Nero tried. But you fast forward 300, 500 years, you go to Rome today, and Rome is just like one big religious place with all these crosses everywhere. <laughs> if that doesn't do something for your faith, you're dead. Because I tell you, our God, he is a God, I think, with a sense of humor. And he's saying this, oh, you're going to try to destroy me? Let me tell you, fast forward a thousand years, and you know what? To the entire Rome, it's going to be called the holy city. And the Vatican will be there, and all of this stuff, right? I just, I just think this is so cool. So here's what I want you to do. This week, anybody know what I want you to do? You guys are awesome. Now, uh, now you guys should, should have gotten one of these. If you haven't, when you go out, make sure to grab one. This is your reading schedule for this week. Five days, right? I'm, all, I'm not giving you all seven, just five. And you know why? Because I'm nice. All right, Monday. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read the Ten Commandments. Uh, some of you are like, I've kept all the Ten Commandments, but you don't even know where they're at. And you're like, I think it's in Second Opinions. No, it's not. It's Exodus chapter 20. Read the Ten Commandments, right? Now, look at this next one. On Tuesday, I want you to read about David and Bathsheba and, and, and how David sinned, and he broke, he broke one of those commandments, right? Um, and then in the next day, on Wednesday, I want you to read 2 Samuel chapter 12, where Nathan confronted David of that. And then Thursday, I want you to read David's prayer, his journal entry of his response, hey, God, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And then lastly, I want you to look at how Jesus dealt with adultery in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I got cut off, by the way. John 8. Just remember John 8, all right? So, will y'all do that? Very good, all right.